Today's episode is brought to you by Anchorfish Printing. Hey, are you in a band? Do you run a label? Or maybe you just want to make some merch for fun. You should hit up Anchorfish Printing. They've been taking care of bands for over 15 years. I first met the owner, Michael, when my band Touche Amore started, and he was our go-to guy. You can visit what they have to offer over at anchorfishprinting.com. You can hit them up for all your merch needs, whether it's screen printing, embroidery, or maybe you just need some stickers. Mention the first ever podcast and get 10% off your order. Hello and welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 119. And my guest this week is Maxwell Stern. He is a musician. He puts out records under his own name, but he's also in a ton of bands. He's in a band called Signals Midwest. He's in a band called Orbits. He's in a band called Timeshares. He's in a band called Meridian. All four of those things, of those bands, put out records this year. April 8th, Signals Midwest put out a record called Dent. August 9th, Orbits put out a record called Fever Museum. September 9th, Timeshares put out a record called Limb. And October 21st, Meridian put out a record called New Ways for Old Days. We recorded this conversation back in August. Uh, it's been a while, but I'm excited that it's going to uh, finally be out. Uh, if you're interested in a bonus episode where Maxwell answered questions that were submitted by subscribers, head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon to hear that. Uh, you'll get access to a ton of bonus episodes for nearly episode we, every uh, show we've done here. And uh, tons of radio hours, Discord channel, all sorts of stuff. Sorry if I sound like I'm in a little bit of a hurry. I am in a uh, production office in Fort Collins, Colorado. I am still somehow on tour, uh, but it's wrapping up soon. Next time we talk, I think I'll be just about done. Um, it's going great. I'm, uh, I'm on tour with the Menzingers. I'm on tour with Screaming Females. And uh, it's very cold. It's, uh, it's, it's very cold out here in Colorado. It's cold everywhere, but, you know, especially here in Colorado. Um, there might be some background noise. That's because this production office is located directly next to two pinball machines that are free play for the bands here in the backstage room. So you can imagine this is working out swimmingly. <laughs> um, but I wanted to really say thank you. A huge thank you to everybody who has stuck with me while I've been on tour and just recording these intros and outros remotely, keeping up with the show. I'm excited for 2023 when I'll be settled and scheduling new interviews and all sorts of stuff. For those that have been paying attention, um, I stacked up a ton of interviews before I left for tour. I just overcompensated. So a lot of these conversations that I've been posting these last couple of weeks are ones that took place over the summer, over the late summer before I left. So... You know, I've kind of missed having these conversations. Um, there's still a few I got in the can ready to go. Some really great ones ahead, including this one that I'm putting out today. So thank you for sticking with me. Thank you for being patient. Um, 
you're all awesome out there, truly. Uh, all right, without further ado, here is my conversation with Maxwell Stern. What's up, Max? Nice to see you. How are you? This is our first time meeting. This is through yeah, our uh, through our uh, our very lovely mutual friend Jake Katz. He hit me up and he said, "You should talk to my boy Max." And I said, <laughs> "I said send him my way." So shout Hell out, yeah, Jake, dude. Shout out, Jake Katz. Uh, you did wait? Do, do I do I get this right that you guys were roommates? Is that is that right? So yeah, there are a couple levels of connection there. Actually, we were roommates for about two years. Uh, here in Philly. But on the day that we moved in together, uh, we actually discovered that we are distantly related. No way. Yeah, that was a trip. Um, His dad was helping him move some stuff into this house. I guess this would have been in like 2017, early 2018. And his dad was wearing at the time a Cleveland Indians shirt. Now they're the Guardians. Sure. About about fucking time. But uh, yeah, he was wearing an Indians shirt, and I was like, "Are you from Cleveland?" Because that's where I'm from, and like, yeah. I'm a, a big Ohio guy. And he was like, "Yeah, yeah, I grew up in this town." And we sort of traced it back that my mom babysat for his dad in high school, and they're like distantly third cousins, and that like my great aunt's sister is his like great grandmother or something like this or oh, something like that wow yeah, that's, that's probably wrong but there is some crazy yeah sure like sure enough and for those listening that are like why are we talking about this person so you know uh jake was kind enough to uh tour manage and do sound for for my band uh earlier this year and it was our first time meeting him we were so desperate for <laughs> for a sound person that our manager literally found jake on linkedin how fucking yeah. nuts is that so crazy so like and we're you know i don't know how how your band operates but like we're not a band that often looks uh, outside of the group like we're very insulated you know what i'm saying very so like so. we were like nervous being like oh man we have this outsider that we're about to just throw in the van with us for 6 weeks and he was just the best person, the most lovely person in the entire world. Had the best time with him. So any friend of Jake's is a is a friend of the show, is a friend of mine. So it's, Man, it's nice to talk. That's so awesome. I know that, you know, everyone I know in the industry who tours full time like Jake does as a front of house technician engineer, you know, obviously had a terrible couple years and he had a bunch of tours cancel on him. I know when that came in, he was really excited about it. And uh, I was stoked for him, man. He's he's so great and uh, just a, re- a really talented dude. Good person to throw in the van. Just so talented, so helpful, like unreal, unreal. We're about to do this Menzingers tour, but because we're not like because we're just like direct and we right. like likely won't have a sound check and stuff. It's like, you know, it'd be a, it'd be a waste of Jake's talents to uh, to make him come along with us for that. But it makes me sad because I, I, I was almost like I almost never want to tour again unless unless Jake is in that van. Certain levels of comfort you get used to and then you're like, oh, it's kind of not as fun to do it without this. And also having yeah. a, a crew member. We just got back from a Signals Midwest tour where we took a TM for the first time, um, which is our friend Elise and she crushed it and she was sending us day sheets and she was doing merch and had spreadsheets and, you know, was like getting us to the venues on time, even (laughs) early. And, uh, you know, we'd never really had like a crew member who was out for a full tour. And 
it was so nice. It, it makes was so nice. <laughs> it makes all the difference, truthfully. Yeah. Like and changing up the energy in the van a little bit is good too. Absolutely, all of those things. It's it's uh, just getting one, even if it's just one extra set of hands. It really, really, really does make a difference. Um, so wait, when did you get back? You said you just got back. I got back about ten days ago. Okay, I want to say so. I I did the whole. Um, come back from tour, think that I'm just going to go straight from coming back from tour into work and not have the crash. And then you do have the crash. And it was a little bit delayed this time. And it was like a couple days where I just didn't want to go to work, didn't want to get off the couch, didn't want to do anything. And now I'm, I'm coming out of that divot, I think coming out of that hole. Well, also for, uh, for those listening, um, because of some nonsense with me, I had to push, I had to push this interview back and then we were texting and, uh, and Max was on a run. So I have to ask, was this your first run post tour? Because that's also <laughs> something to, to, that's like hard to, uh, to swing back into. Yeah. This I think was my third. Actually. Okay, Congratulations. Thank you. I'm trying to get back into it. I'm not great at it. I've, I've been through phases in my life where it's been something that I do regularly and then I just won't do it for two or three months at a time. And then you do that first one when you come back and you're like, Oh, that's what endorphins feel like. That's, that's really nice. Um, it's, it's pretty similar to the feeling you get after playing a show, honestly. Yeah. Like it's got that, you got that cardio. You're just, I'm just way, way, way more up in my head on runs. Totally. Yeah. For and, better, uh, sometimes for better or worse, but usually it's yeah. for better. Yes. Usually. usually. <laughs> um, so you mentioned you're from Cleveland originally. I saw that when I was doing yes. uh, doing some research on you. So, um, when did you, cause you live in Philly now, right? I do. Yeah. When, when did you actually make that switch? When did you move there? I moved here at the end of 2016, beginning of 2017. Okay. And it was sort of like a weird first year where I just wasn't happy at home. I'd never left for school or anything like that. I lived there from age four to 27 and I, I have a lot of love for Cleveland and I think I will go back one day, but I was ready to do some new stuff. And I had a lot of friends out here because it's Philly and everybody knows everybody out here. Totally. And uh, yeah, it it was a weird first year where I went home a lot because we were still playing a lot of local shows. But I sort of had to put a stop to that. Like, we're not a local band anymore. Like now it's multi-city. It's a lot. There's a lot more logistics that go into doing things. So yeah, it's been coming up on six years, which is pretty wild. Yeah. Does, I mean, also with these last couple of years, it's sort of they almost feel like they don't count sometimes where you're just like, ah, do we have to count these? I mean, I wasn't really right. doing much. It's tough. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, I saw Signals Midwest, obviously, as you mentioned, like feels like a local band or at least it started, it started out there. Um, well, you, what I usually start with musicians actually asking though is uh, when you were young, what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours maybe not something that was being played in the house but something that like you discovered on your own also you play in a band with your brother too right so yeah, yeah, what, what's I do. what's the age difference and are you younger or older i am just about five years older i am okay. the oldest of three okay okay so probably not much when you're growing up musical crossover because you're the older brother he i think took a lot for me and then used that basis to really kind of go out on his own. And now he's way more up on new music than I am. 
and, uh, you know, has like just wider tastes in a lot of ways where I'm still like, I'm going to put on rancid again. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, some of the first stuff that I felt like was mine, um, came from skate videos that I watched as a kid. Uh, you know, you grow up as a kid in the suburbs, you're, you know, you're going to probably find skateboarding at some point. And, uh, yeah, I, I got a couple of videos. Um, one of them was a company black label who's still around. Um, and I think they're, they're in the LA area cause all of the skateboarding industry is in LA. Um, and that had a really amazing soundtrack. Uh, I think it had stiff little fingers on it. It oh, had wow. ACDC on it. Um, I feel like there was an at the drive-in song on there. Like it was really eclectic, but all the skateboarding was just like really gnarly. And I found a bunch of those songs. And then I started like, like I learned the guitar riff to alternative Ulster because it was right when I started playing guitar. And I I learned the guitar riff to hell's bells because I thought it kicked ass. Sure. Which which it does. Yeah. Yeah, Very much. Um, So I think it was just sort of through, a, a lot of skate videos um, and snowboarding videos. There was a company called Forum that was around for a while. I'm not sure if they still are, but I got a video of theirs on VHS. Uh, I forget what it's called. It was around 2000 or 2001. And that had the Fugazi song Styrofoam. Okay. And that, I still remember that riff because it does this really weird, like chromatic half step rise thing. And it really caught my ear and like, still in my head when i hear that song i'm connected back to being like 11 years old and like watching people just fly down mountains and being like this is the coolest fucking thing i've ever seen in my life that's awesome uh (laughs) you know it's funny i was never really much of a skate kid or, or anything like that but um i know how much of a gateway skate videos were for people discovering music when they're younger um and it's something i never really thought about but do we think that older hindsight the eclecticness of a soundtrack like that was probably like specific skaters saying, I want this song to play during my part. Or do you think it was potentially the director of said video saying this would just be sick over this? I think it can go either way. Um, I think it depends on the company because, you know, some skate brands are like very serious and, and very gnarly. And then others are, you know, maybe it's more like a skate crew video where the skaters skate for different brands, but they sort of have like, I don't know, the whole the skateboarding world is is pretty weird from what I know and like largely very insular. Same as the sure. music world. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, there are some filmmakers, directors who very much visualize how music is going to work for a certain skater, a certain style. You know, I, I know that if you're a very technical skater, which involves things, um, you know, for all the non-skateboarding people, it involves things like where you flip your board a bunch and you have really like quick movements or, or good foot control or something like that. Some of that stuff sort of lends itself more towards beat oriented music, a lot of hip hop stuff, drum and bass, um, which is how I learned about, you know, not that I have any sort of serious knowledge with that stuff, but you know, I, I definitely discovered like a tribe called quest and things like that versus if you see someone just like bombing down a hill, you know, you can see them doing that to Sabbath or something like that. Sure, so yeah, yeah, yeah. you sort of think about it and like sort of the medium is the message there where like, okay, if you're a gnarly skater, maybe you're going to skate to a gnarly song. 
Yeah. So this this leads to a very important question to completely put you on the spot to what if you were in a skate video at especially at that age? Oh man. What what would your song be if you had if you got to choose? So I'll throw this back at you. I did make a skate video. <laughs> Here we go. And yeah, we had our our little crew. It was called Team Cretan, and it was named after the Ramones song Cretan Family. Sure. And um I think I was I was like just discovering punk at that point. And uh I think I my part was uh, I'm so bored with the USA by the clash. That's awesome. And, uh, it was definitely in another video and I just took it from that because I liked the song. Sure. And, um, actually this, this crosses over with music in a pretty weird way because I wanted it. I wanted the song to end earlier than it did. I didn't have enough footage <laughs> and I learned the chord progression and like tried to, record my own version of the guitar riff at the end to make it end with my own riff oh my <laughs> god like cut cut the audio file and then put my own in uh and i tried like a bunch of times and it super didn't work and i was like all right well i guess i gotta go film more and i like filmed another 30 seconds or something like that and i wow. edited it all together and and uh yeah that's Everything is dovetailing right there in that moment. Totally, yeah. The the uh, desperation creates innovation situation where you're like, yeah. okay, now I guess I have to learn how to record. I have to learn how to, yeah, all of that well, kind of comes together. I was doing together. it through the, like, internal microphone on my giant, like, dome-shaped purple iMac at the time. And, like, yeah, probably, yeah I was loving it. Oh, my God. So, uh, <laughs> you, well... Before we get to instrument, what was uh, what was the first concert you went to? Oh man, um, my first concert was seeing the Bare Naked Ladies when I was eleven years old. Amazing, yeah, amazing, it was sick. Was we had it floor seats? Okay, so it was like you were going to see them. It wasn't like they were a part of like a radio festival, or it was like going to see the Bare Naked Ladies. Oh, no, I it was very much to see them. It was a present for my 11th or 12th birthday um, that my friend Justin uh, and his mother got me. And uh, yeah, he and his mom and me and, and my mom went. And uh, yeah, we were like right on the floor. We were super close. It was in uh, at the time it was Gundarino where the Cleveland Cavaliers play. OK. And it was amazing. And they had a bunch of like, you know, the, the stagecraft was immaculate and the lighting was insane and it it was yeah that was my first like that was my first show and it was crazy because it was an arena show and i thought sure. that all shows were like that and then you know i got a couple years, years older and started going to punk shows and was like oh they're not all like that they're not all like that yeah this is a fun question that i i won't um i won't fault you for not remembering but do you happen to remember who opened that show because that's always a fun question if it ended up being anyone who who um, i do yeah who was i it? do it's a band called guster who is now like very large in their own right holy shit yeah they had like the stand-up drummer like the dude it was really weird he's like playing drum patterns but like kind of only with his hands yeah but they sounded at the, I mean, I was 11 years old, so they're the biggest band in the world in my mind. Or right. the second biggest. You're opening for Bare Naked Ladies. But uh, yeah, it was pretty sick. I liked them too. They were on MTV and shit. Okay, so you mentioned uh, you were you were playing guitar. When did you start playing guitar? And what was your first guitar? 
So I played piano for like three years at first, okay. age eight to 11. And then I realized that all of the music I liked had guitars in it and really didn't have a lot of piano. Sure. Um, so I switched to that at about age 11. And um, yeah, my first guitar was an acoustic that my parents had laying around. Uh, I believe it was an Alvarez it had a pretty cool pick guard with like a bird on it and a rose. Okay. Uh, I treated it terribly, but it was really cool. Yeah. Um, and then I think I got this like, you know, $150 starter, starter guitar. Uh, it was an Ibanez GAX 70. It sort of was like an SG shape with like a rounder, more circular body. And it was like a burnt orange color. And I had skate stickers all over it. As you and, do. Um, yeah. I drew all over it and it was sick and I still have it at my parents' house. Back you do. I do. Amazing. That's one of my, that's always a follow up question is like, do you, is there any sign of that thing anymore? So I'm glad you held on to it. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned it was like laying, the acoustic was laying around the house though. Was that, do, did your folks play? I think a little bit. I think they both just sort of like messed around with it in high school, college, and then you know, just sort of put it in the case and it sat there for a long time. Sure. And then I decided I wanted to start and dug it out and, you know, tried to play it. And God, when you're starting and your fingers are bleeding and like, it's just so hard to do, especially yeah. starting on acoustic. I, th- I think it was, I had Laura Jane Grace on the show and we were talking about how that's such a common thing for so many young people with, especially having to learn on a, like kind of maybe a crappy acoustic when you're young, that's maybe laying around the house or that's what your folks give you because it's like the intonation is always super bad. So you're having like actions off. Action is terrible. You're like having an inch off the fretboard. Totally. So it's like, you're shredding your fingers. Um, It's like, it's like setting you up for failure to make you want to give up on it, which is interesting. So it's like, it almost feels like the people that do persevere out of that are like, truly meant to play guitar because they're like they're dedicated they're like i'm I, I, this should get better this should be easier but you don't realize it in that moment because you just think that's how all guitars are going to feel right and then you get an electric guitar if you're lucky and it's way easier yeah and you're like, and you're what like the this hell? is how it's supposed to feel but there's also all kinds of science to that that i didn't understand when i first started you know i, ha- I had this electric and i had a practice amp And I was trying to play Smoke on the Water because that's (laughs) the riff that you learned. You know, it's just 035, 0365. It's, you know, one of the first things that everybody learns. And I'm listening to the record and I'm trying to play along with it and trying to get my guitar to sound like that. And I didn't understand what effects were on a guitar. I just thought you plugged it in. And I, I thought, you know, the distortion was all like, in the guitar somehow or in the amp. And I was like, Oh, I got to get like a, a better guitar that like sounds distorted. Cause I didn't know what a distortion pedal of was course, or like yeah. what a gain knob was. So I remember just trying to play it like as hard as I could. And I could kind of get the amp to break up a little bit. And I was like, wow, I guess you just really got to play like super hard all the time. If you want your guitar to sound like that. And then later, you know, I think it was like a, bar mitzvah present or something like that when i was 13 i got like you know a boss metal zone or something like that it was like oh this is way easier yeah <laughs> this is way better 
Absolutely, God, the boss metal zone. What a, what a, what a perfect guitar pedal. Oh what, yeah. What a perfect guitar player. Like that thing changes everything for you when you're a kid. Definitely. Yeah. That you, was... you, you fucking you start playing that the one Sabbath riff you know or something like that. You start playing Crazy Train and you're like, oh, oh, there it is. There it is. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. Um. So then. What uh so f- forgive me for not knowing what is what instrument does your brother play? Um so he initially played saxophone, which is how he learned to read music, same way that I started on piano and learned how to read yeah. music. Not that I were ever looking at sheet music anymore and sure. I don't I don't really know how to do it now. Um but I so there's kind of a story there. I took guitar lessons from this really talented guy. His name was Ian Zickler. I actually just shot, I saw him at a, a show we just played in Boston a couple weeks ago. It was really nice. And nice. I was like, okay, I got to put my guitar strap up a little higher tonight. I got to make sure I don't miss any notes or anything. Uh, but he's come to see us a bunch of times and like, you know, we're friends at this point. Sure. Um, but he was a great teacher and he, you know, he taught me a ton of stuff. He would, he taught me theory, but then he would also be like, oh, okay, you want to like figure out a Blink-182 song? Like, you know, let's put it on. He'd figure it out in three seconds and then teach it to me. So it was a good mix of, you know, teaching me some fundamental stuff that I could use to, you know, my advantage later, but also indulging me on what I wanted to hear and be able to play. Um, that's That I, sounds like the perfect scenario. So many people that I either talk to here or whatever, like, or my own experience was like the teacher that just wanted to kind of teach you the not so fun stuff, which then makes a lot of people give up on the lessons and then eventually find a power chord. But like, it sounds like your teacher was open to all things and actually kept you motivated, which is really cool. That is yeah. that's like a blessing. He, I, I got so lucky with him, man. <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. There are a lot of really bad teachers out there. Totally. Um, So what ended up happening is that I think I got decently good pretty fast. And I had a good understanding of where certain notes were on the entire fretboard and how there were kind of like grids and scales that you could move around. Um, And, you know, I, I started some early bands, you know, you know, probably only two or three years after I picked up an instrument for the first time, which to me felt pretty fast. Maybe it wasn't. But anyway... I eventually moved into being a teacher also for a couple years. Um, and I taught my brother how to play. Oh, okay. And he would, at that point I was living on my own. I was, it was early in college and he would come down every week, uh, with a dinner that my mom had packed him and she would bring me dinner every week or he would bring it and I would teach him a guitar and like that I teach him guitar and that was the payment. That's awesome. That's that's very wholesome. It was very wholesome in retrospect. (laughs) This podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. 
So with your, well, well then what was your first band? I'm assuming you didn't start playing in a band with your brother until later in life. Cause he's no, it came a little later. Yeah. 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 So what was the first band you ever did? Uh, the first band I ever did was with my friends, John Hanna and James Mushler. They were two neighborhood kids, uh, that we just sort of grown up skating and, you know, lighting cans of axe deodorant on fire and just doing dumb shit sure um so we sort of like discovered punk like i you know it was like i got into rancid and anti-flag like and and we were still really silly i think the first band name we came up with here we go before we ever wrote any songs was the raging chickens i think i was 13 <laughs> and Love it. uh Love yeah, it. that was my my friend James's creation. Um, he is now a professional drummer. He played in a band called Moon Hooch, which is like this experimental jazz uh, okay. dance thing. And they're playing like every major festival you could ever think of. That's incredible. So he's he's uh, progressed far beyond the Raging Chicken. <laughs> uh, but it was sick. And we were playing like anti-flag songs and rancid songs. Okay. And I remember my dad bought a very, very early digital camera. This must have been in like 2002, 2003, like right when they were coming out, like on the market. And his computer had like a free version of like a very early version of Photoshop. Mm -hmm. And I made him take so many pictures of me jumping off of our front stairs with my guitar <laughs> so that I could then erase the background by hand and like use the Chrome filter in that crappy version of Photoshop to oh, like yeah. make our first album cover or whatever. I wish I had it so bad. Oh, it was so sick. Like fake distressed type and like, oh man, it was so cool. So is that to say that that band recorded or is that you just making an album cover for this thing that didn't exist? Oh, I was very much making an album cover for a thing that didn't exist. Love yeah. it. I which, love it. Which was sick. Eventually, we we did record. We we kind of progressed and went through some phases. Um, we changed our name from the Raging Chickens to Willingly Accused. <laughs> <laughs> which that, I think was about age fourteen. Yeah, that's that's the kind of name I always look for. Like the, yeah. the like kind of aggressive, but like but you're like oh, yeah. just some suburban asshole kids. What are you doing? Very much. So you're writing songs about like the system and the government <laughs> and like you have no idea what anything is at all. But like we were playing rancid songs and we were super into like you know, and we're like upper middle class, like suburban kids in Ohio, but we're listening to like choking victim and leftover crack and things yeah. like that. And just being like, this is sick, dude. We should write songs like this. Important question, though, was the A in accused and accused uh, in a an anarchy sign? I don't see how it could not have been an anarchy <laughs> sign. I feel like that's implied when you just like say it. When you say it out loud, you're like that A was an anarchy sign for sure. For yes. sure it was. Very much so. Yeah, that was... That so was where then, my head was at. Uh, what was your first... Uh, well, how about this? What was the first show you ever played? So we eventually dropped Willingly Accused. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we, I like started getting super into ska because um, that's... I feel like there's this fork in the road when you're a kid. Like you discover like early punk bands and then like 
you either veer like left into hardcore or right into ska. True. Um, and I took the ska route um, because there was a local band in Cleveland Heights where I grew up called the Rude Staff Checkers because they're a ska band, so you got to have rude and checkers in the name. Yeah, if not, um, if not a ska pun. Well, that's w- eventually what happened with here us. We, here we, we go. We became the ska catastrophes. Love it. Love yeah. it. Um, and then that was the first band that I did that ever played shows. Um, our first show was at a Relay for Life event at my high school freshman year, which was like a cancer fundraiser where they have bands play and people walk the track and you get a sponsor. And I guess it, however many laps you do, people agree to pay you hey, a certain yeah. amount of money. And I think it's a pretty common thing. So leading up, I, we got that show somehow. We booked it, got the gig, and we had been writing a a bunch of our own songs. We were doing some covers and stuff too. Uh, We practiced in my friend James's family's basement uh, and his older sister, Carrie, who we all had a crush on would come down and like listen to us occasionally and like sort of float in and out. And the agreement was that we were always going to get a different singer because I was just sort of singing as a placeholder to be, and we, you know, a couple kids came over and tried out and yelled into the microphone, but no one wanted to keep showing up. Sure. So eventually we just booked the show and we're practicing and Carrie comes downstairs and we finish a song and she go, she goes, the music sounds pretty good, but who's going to sing for you guys? And little like 14 year old Max goes, Oh me, I think I'm going to do it. She just looks me dead in the eye and goes, Oh, bummer. And just walks upstairs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and just like crushed me. Yeah. So bad. So bad. But you know what? We played the show. Yeah. And my, and my voice cracked a bunch. But yeah. Got better from there. That's amazing. Yeah. Those are those are uh, those are the moments that we don't forget. Right. It's true. It's, it's those true. it's those statements that that haunt and motivate you at the same yes. time. Wow. Very much so. (laughs) I was once told uh, by a girl in sophomore year because I was playing in like, you know, shitty high school band. Pretty sure the exact quote was the only reason anyone is ever going to like you or pretend to like you is because you're in a band. (laughs) Gut punch. And I was like, Jesus Christ. And if you don't think that that statement has haunted me forever oh, uh buddy <laughs> yeah yeah we're all just like fuck man was bianca well, it, was bianca right oh no she was not right <laughs> let's no. hope not let's hope fuck not. that shit it does yeah. speak to to something else that i do think about and maybe this is getting a little off off topic okay. but like let's do it you know you, you get crazy tunnel vision when you're doing this thing you yeah know? when you're when you're doing any kind of creative project and you define yourself by being a band person being a music person and something that has been helpful for me especially over the last couple years is to try to think about who i am completely outside of it yeah and like you know divorcing your identity a little bit from it so that like you could it's okay like i i like the identity that i have of being a person involved in music and creative pursuit but 
when you stop and you're like, okay, well, who am I as like a partner, a family member, brother, cousin, friend, you know, listener, like who there, yeah. there's important stuff there too. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, and it's also very important to be conscious of those things more often than not, you know, yeah. um, had you recorded before playing your first show? No, I don't okay. think so. Okay, okay, okay. So I think maybe we'd messed around with this like four track or something. Four track thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then the first time that you recorded was that uh with you singing? We I did not have the guts to sing on a recording for a long time. Sure. Probably a couple years. And um you know, we we were able to get some decent sounding stuff once we figured out that you could multi-track on this machine that I had, but we didn't understand what click tracks or scratch tracks were. We didn't know any of that. So I would just have our drummer like play the song by himself, just like singing the song to himself in his head. And we just hoped that it was right. And then, you know, we would go in and track a guitar and then another one. And then I remember I figured out what panning was, where it's like, oh, you put this guitar in this headphone and this guitar in this headphone. You listen back to it and you're like, I sound like I am in fucking Pink Floyd or something. This is the craziest shit I've ever heard. Yeah. I remember that being like a real break breakthrough. Wow. Like learning about that. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy because when you're young and you're doing these things and you're trying to figure it out because you have no other means to other than just like you're with your friends and you're just trying to make something happen. Um it does sort of set you set you up for later when you do start, you know, maybe recording at a studio with like other people and, and stuff. You're like, wow, I was really, really working hard and making it hard on myself. And now it's a lot easier so hard on myself. Yeah. And, and there was a lot of other stuff, too. Like, you know, I had this like little crappy plug in guitar tuner that didn't have an output. So I would just tune the guitar once at the beginning of a show or at the beginning of like a practice. And I'd be like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> and dude, I played so many shows just plugging into that thing and like not having anything else on stage, like not having a tuner on stage. Like I didn't understand. We had horn players. And if you've ever played with horn players, you know, tuning all of that stuff and getting them to work with each other is kind of a nightmare too, especially when everyone's just like, kids you met in band class or something totally. like that and like they don't understand how this works and yeah we were not doing ourselves any favors at that point yeah uh, you know i i never played in a ska band or anything like that but i do like that side of a lot of high school bands uh high school ska bands where it was like you might not be ska kids but guess what you're in band and you play brass instruments so yep. we're going to ask you to be a part of this it's sort of the same thing as like when you hear about or when you you know talk to people or whatever that maybe aren't in major cities so there's maybe not a lot of kids in the neighborhood that are playing guitar or playing bass or whatever so then you look at the lineup sometimes and you're like wow that kid was definitely like a metal hesher with like long hair and a, oh, yeah. and a Jackson, but he was playing guitar in the ska band because he's the one kid who played guitar. Yeah, you got to You got to work with what you got, dude. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I like staked out a couple people like there's this saxophone player. His name's Adam Gilbert. He's now like a professor of saxophone somewhere. Um, but yeah, I like staked him out at school and 
like I just I knew he was good. I had kind of asked around. I was like, what are you doing after school? You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Come through. And he ended up being in the band for a couple years and it was great. That's awesome. That's super cool. So um, then how far between that band and then Signals Midwest is there? So that was most of high school for me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I liked a lot of different kinds of music. I, you know, I discovered like an early Jeff Rosenstock band. Like I was a big ASOB fan. I, sure. I listened to his episode that you guys did, which was oh, great. Cool. And I've, I've known Jeff now for like the better part of two decades. Cause I booked some very, very early bomb the music industry shows that Scott Tastrophe's opened and like all that stuff. Uh, so you were saying, so you got really into his bands. Uh, you got to, Oh, you said you got to open for them. Yeah. I think I, talked to Jeff on MySpace a bunch of times. And um, I grew up only about six or seven blocks up the street from the grog shop in Cleveland. Sure. Uh, and I worked there as a kid and and had like an internship there in high school. And uh, Kathy, the owner of the club, is like really close friends with my cousins. And uh, it was super cool having like a legit rock club, like up the street from where I lived because I saw a ton of amazing shows at age like 13, 14 years old. I, is where I played my first club show there. Um, Scottastrophes was all of high school and we got decently good. I would say we learned how to tune our instruments and I learned a lot about songwriting at that point. And, you know, I was, I was like writing horn lines and I was writing lyrics and I was writing bass parts and I was experimenting with how to communicate with drummers. And, you know, I was, I was lucky. I like had a lot of really talented folks who wanted to get involved and we ended up making a record um, in a studio. It's gone now, but it was called Metro sync and it was in the same building as the Agora in Cleveland. I think sure. you've probably played there before. Yeah. Um, and that was like my first time really in a studio and learned a ton of stuff about how to make records and, and how things worked together, captured via microphone versus in, you know, my parents or my friend's parents' basement. So it was huge, totally. huge learning experience. And, you know, we were playing the Grog Shop and the Rhythm Room and Peabody's and the Agora. And I'm, you know, I'm sure places that you've been to at one point or another in your life. Yeah. And, but I was like 15, 16 years old and like doing a lot of stuff the hard way. Um, and at some point, I think it might've actually been at a high school battle of the bands. I saw the band, the sidekicks play because they were from Cleveland and we became friends. I put them on a show. I booked at the grog shop and just sort of started going to see them. And they became like my favorite band. And, uh, they needed a guitar player to fill in, I believe, it was the summer after my freshman year of college when my band really wasn't doing anything anymore. And I was kind of being like, okay, I don't think I want the name of the genre I'm playing to be in my band name anymore. Like there's other stuff you can do. Um, anyway, sidekicks needed a guitar player. I filled in for them on a two week tour and it was the first time I'd ever done anything like that. Yeah. Uh, and it was this, hugely transformative experience of like I was 18 years old I got in the van 
and we went and played in Brooklyn and Boston, but also places like Allentown and Virginia Beach and stuff like that. And actually, I remember that I couldn't make the first couple days of the tour because I had a family thing going on. And then I took a Greyhound bus to Huntington, West Virginia, which is a really weird place. And it was one of my first times traveling like by myself. And they picked me up at the Greyhound stop in Huntington. And all of a sudden I was like on tour playing in my favorite band. We got like two practices in before that, I think. Wow. Um, And it just sort of like blew my brain open just being like, you know, we, we played with, you know, whoever was around at the time, I'm sure like, you know, it was early projects of people who are very successful or well known today. What year is that? This would have been summer 2008. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure. And were they, were they on tour themselves? Like, was there any other bands on the tour? We went out with another local Cleveland-ish band called Ghost Town Trio. Okay. Who, uh, and all those members have split off to play in a bunch of other really cool things. A couple of them ended up in this band, St. Seneca, who okay. are... Yeah, I remember them. I think I think they're on Anti, but I've been playing with them for... A, or we've, I've played shows with them very, very early on, and now they're pretty sizable folk indie rock band. They're, sure, they're yeah, 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 um, um, yeah. I, dude, I... I really like that last sidekicks record, the happiness hours record. Is yeah. So unbelievable. I yeah. love that record. I mean, all their records are really great, but that one like hit me at just the right time. Kind of a thing where it was like, I, it was like pretty much all I listened to for whatever part of the year that came out. I feel like that was maybe a summer record. I can't remember, but anyway, yeah. I love the hell out of them. We played with them in michigan yeah it was like this kind of failed festival that turned into a club show it was like sure it was supposed to be a big thing and then it wasn't so so it goes they so they moved in into the small room of a, of a, of a was it like oh, crowfoot pike room that yes that place yes. okay I've yes. there before yes that's where it got moved and yeah. it was the, the lineup was wild it was like us it was like a sidekicks microwave uh rapper pos yeah it was like all, it was all over the place but anyway um i that's cool that you did that and that's that's an awesome first tour experience too did you did you find yourself uh like how do i say this like i'm sure you're wrapped up in the fact that you're getting to play guitar in in the band that you love so much so that's like one side um (laughs) so was the whole experience just like fucking roses or was there or did you did you uh have any trouble at all on the tour like was it was it tough for you being away things like that it was perfect Every like even the challenges where like I didn't know where to get food or things like that. (laughs) And obviously this is pre-smartphone. This is like might have been like early Garmin, maybe still kind of MapQuest directions. Sure. Um that would have probably been that would have been Garmin, but shitty Garmin. Shitty Garmin. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And like it was hard to find a couple places that we were supposed to play. Yeah. You know, just like some warehouse in Allentown PA or some shit like that. Of course. But, you know, we got through it. I loved it so much. It was, it, I mean, it was this really, really important eye-opening experience for me. And, like, not even just, like, playing the shows and playing in my favorite band. It was, like, the stuff they were playing in the van. Like, 
I heard the first time I heard the weaker thans was in that van. <laughs> first time I heard like the Constantines was in that van. You yeah, know, it was very, very revelatory for a number of reasons. And uh, yeah, I, I just feel like it it really expanded my view. And I came back from that trip, um, sort of thinking that I was gonna be in that band, and then their other guitar player came back or something like that, and I was kind of bummed out, but. I was like, okay, well, you know, he's in the band and I just filled in. I get it. And I immediately wanted to just do my own version of that and kind of figure out how to cultivate my own version of what that experience had given me. So that was when Signal started, uh, probably like not even two months later. I was just sort of like, I want to be in a punk band and I want it to sound like against me and the Lawrence arms and Dillinger four and like all of the stuff that this band is into also. And, uh, yeah, that, that was when it started from there. Um, I asked the trombone player of the ska band, uh, who is one of my best friends to this day, his name is Lauren. Uh, if he would be willing to switch to bass cause I needed a bass player. Um, and then we found our drummer who is, who was like a couple years older through a classmate at college. And um, I think we were playing shows like two months later or something. Wow. Like that. Yeah. I was really inspired by that tour. I like Sounds really like wanted it. to do it. And I, I still really want to do it. Yeah. So I saw the first release from signals was uh, it's called burn the blueprints and it looks like it was self-released, right? Yeah. 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 So how, that, so how soon after the forming of the band was that, like recorded in and all of that. So the sidekicks tour was June of 2008 and we Lauren and I started playing songs together pretty much as soon as I got back from that tour. We met Steve in Steve plays drums and signals. We met him in, I think September. So maybe two months later and we got together, we played a Lawrence arms song to try him out. Which song? Uh, it was, it's the first song on Oh Calcutta, The Devil's Taken Names. Yeah. And <laughs> we dance? Have yeah. We dance Great song. And yeah. he, and he was like a big Lawrence Arms guy. He has, has like the hourglass batwing yep. tattoo. Sure. And he was like, you want to do this one? Like it wasn't one of his favorite songs at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was down to play. Um, and then I think we wrote one song every week. We practiced on Thursday nights. We wrote one song every week for... I think like two and a half or three months. And then we played our first show and we, we were recording by December or January. Sure. I say. Yeah. And, pretty quick. Uh, pre- I think it was pretty fast. Yeah. You know, it was like 19 at that point and still yeah. didn't know what a click track was. Still didn't really know what any of this shit was. So that sure. record is all like, you know, there's a bunch of glitches on it. Everything's played 10 15 bpm faster than how we wrote it because we were all nervous yeah you know classic shit totally uh i'm also fat you take me as a uh you take i I take you as a chris guy not a maybe not a brendan guy but are you a brendan guy chris guy yeah now very much a chris guy yeah um i'm a chris guy too yeah, and I love all the Sundowner records too. Yeah, sure. And, uh, I, I, and that's not to say Brendan's got tracks. Brendan's, Brendan's got, got tracks. He's got tracks. And but lyrically, he's really impressive. Yeah, 
Uh, and the, and then when he's not, I like when he comments on it, like the the little notations, I think, in a greatest story where there's Definitely. like, I think like one of the lines, maybe it was for the take a chill pill line. It says like, this may or may not be the worst lyric I've ever written. <laughs> <laughs> you got to own it. You got to yeah. like, know when you're phoning it in a little bit. But yeah. They've always had a great sense of humor. Which is what I like about that. Totally, so totally. Um, so, you know, it's funny is I... I looked at the Signals discography and our two bands have very similar um, timelines where interesting our first record, which was like done in just like three days, you know, like we didn't know what we were doing, whatever was 2009. Mm-hmm. Our, our sophomore was, uh, which was on a art, like a, uh, like a much bigger label. So you guys signed it uh, with tiny engines, which I'm assuming was, I'm just guessing here because of the sidekicks connection potentially. Um, you know, that was a weird story too, actually. I think that, you know, they were doing some really interesting stuff back then. Sure. I think they, they did like that tiger's, tiger's jaw, jaw spirit seven desire yeah, seven yeah, inch, yeah. which I, I loved Same. so much. And Same. I still, I still think it's my favorite tiger's jaw release. Although I, I gotta say, um, they've been belting it out the last few records too. Truly. Like the second era of the band, like the, the Ben and Brianna era is like, they got some hits, yeah. some real slappers. Truly, truly. Um, but I loved all that stuff and they did a bunch of other cool shit. They did this band look Mexico, which I liked. They oh yeah. I'm really good friends band. with the fake problems kids. So that makes sense. Cause they, I think they did a split with look Mexico. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah and yeah. this, this was like really early on, but they also ran, a kind of like DIY PR booking company called Bear Trap. Okay. And Signals did our second record, which I consider to be our first real one, which is Latitudes and Longitudes. Yeah. Um, And that was where I feel like we started to actually kind of like find our sound and figure out what we wanted to do. Yeah. Um, You know, we had expanded the lineup. We were a four piece. We were figuring out how to sing and play better and, you know, Every, everything was coming a bit more into focus. So we recorded that record ourselves and pressed CDs ourselves, you know, did a full US that I booked myself through MySpace and Facebook and shit like that. Um, and we it went really well, you know. I've thankfully never really had the experience of coming back from a tour and being like, that sucked and we lost money and no one gave a fuck. Like we were, I've been lucky from the jump, like in a pretty insane way, you know, we've had plenty of duds show wise, like that's going to happen, but like it's been a huge net positive really. So we came back from that tour, which was like a month. I was 21 and we knew that the tiny engines folks and the bear trap folks were the same two people. Um, and this is for anyone listening, obviously a lot of stuff has happened with that label since. Um, and I know that there has been, you know, change in ownership and a fair amount of controversy and accountability issues and things like that. This is sure. just purely for me saying the story of like of what course. happened at the time. Yeah, of course. Um, so we got back and I really was proud of that record. I was like, okay, well, I guess we do like a, press campaign or something like that. I feel like it mattered a lot more at the time because 
criticism and press like wasn't so centralized at that point. You know, there were a lot of blogs, there were a lot of magazines, there were just a ton more like independent outlets. Instagram wasn't a thing yet. Yeah, um, it didn't become the main means of trying to promote every single thing you do. Yeah, and it didn't, and like there weren't even like Facebook pages yet. Bands had MySpace pages, and Facebook was where you messed around and talked to your friends. Like yeah. in in my view, it was still kind of like you know, I guess early ish internet. So we made a couple hundred bucks from that tour, and I was like, okay, well let's hire these guys to like try to get the word out and see if we can like get signed to a small label or something like that. And we sent them the record and I had like a check written out for a couple hundred bucks and like PR campaigns are expensive. I think this was like a few hundred dollars. Like it was really on the low. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, they were going to send some CDs around and send some emails and you know, that's cool. Do your thing. Like, but they wrote us back a couple days later and they were like, Hey, so actually we don't want to take you on as a client. We just want to put this out ourselves. Oh, wow. And I was over the fucking moon. Yeah. I was like, that was sort of what I wanted to happen in my head. And it did work out that way. Totally. And, And they, you know, I sent them the files and, and they sent it to the pressing plant and like, we went out and got chicken wings on the band dime. And I was like, <laughs> this is it. I'm making it, baby. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And the glory days of them sending it to the pressing plant. And then you probably had the record within like four months. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a, a really, a really time. special moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's crazy. So yeah, it's like your, your second record is 2011. So is ours. Your third record is 2013. So is ours. Our Hell yeah. fourth record is 2016, so is ours. Take a little bit longer, refine yeah. what you're doing, yep, check yep. yourself a little bit. Yep. So here's where I'm curious now, though, is because you put out an EP in 2019, but then your new record just came out. Did you sit on the new record for a while? Because we actually ended up doing our fifth in 2020 because we recorded it in 2020 and we decided just to to release it anyhow. But had it had it been done or, or did you actually record that um, closer to the release date? We recorded it pretty close to the release date. We okay. recorded it like um, we did it in two sessions initially because it was going to be two EPs. Okay. Um, actually, no, that's not true. It was going to be an EP, and we had so much fun recording with Jay Robbins that I wanted to go back. And we kind of ended the first session where we did five or six songs and sort of looked around each other and we're just like, you know what? It's going to be more impactful if we put a full length out and there's no shows happening right now. What the fuck are we rushing for? Um, let's just write more songs and come back. And we were supposed to go back in March and it really lit a fire under my ass to like write some of the other songs. Um, I like writing towards a deadline. Sometimes it gets me off my ass in a, in a nice way. Sure. Um, and then our bass player got COVID and we pushed the session back like two months. Cause that's the nature of, all of this now totally um but yeah that was very much like a a pandemic record there were a few years there where i wasn't really sure if it was still going to be going because we you know had a founding member leave and then we were all in different places but yeah it seems the ship seems to have righted itself so that's cool that you did the record with jay robbins i'll be honest i one of the things i always try to research is like who did certain records and i was actually having a hard time trying to figure out uh 
production um, credit. So you mentioned that you did um, some of the early stuff yourself. Which uh, so you, Jay Robbins did this new one. You, did you, did Jay Robbins do the pin EP as well? No. Okay. Uh, so we just did the first couple with you know local friends in Cleveland. Oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah. You know some people who are like they're not even in the audio engineering game anymore. Sure. Just like our our buddy Adam, who was like learning how to do it. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know got pretty good pretty quick um and then in 2016 that was kind of like a pivotal moment because we went to chicago and made a record with evan weiss from into it over it oh sure and he he produced that and it was the first time i'd ever done like pre-production where you get in a room and you play the songs and you you hire someone to go that could be better cut that chorus in half you didn't know what you were doing for this bridge. Scrap that part. This lyric sucks, but like in kind of a loving, constructive way, you hope. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that was for the At This Age record? That was for At This Age. Yeah. Um, and then we worked with the engineer from that record, Matt Jordan, on the PIN EP. Uh, and uh, this other guy, Adam Beck, who is uh, now the drummer and Intuit Over It. He's the drummer for Sincere Engineer. He's a really talented audio engineer in his own right plays drums on my solo stuff, plays drums for everybody. Just really talented, good yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, there's a, a big Chicago contingent of folks that we know and love out there. Yeah, um, sounds like it. But for the Jay Robbins thing, um, you know, obviously I love the records the dude has made. I, I didn't know Jawbox or, any, or Burning Airlines or any other stuff that he's done very well. I just knew they're kind of, their stature as kind of legendary yeah, bands. Totally. Um, but it seemed like his vibe was the vibe that we wanted to go for, which was making something more live. You know, we didn't really multi-track a ton of shit on that record, did overdubs and stuff, but it was largely live to tape, which was really fun. That's awesome. Yeah. He's, I like Jay Robbins. Uh, I like his recordings, but they're always like sometimes he's sometimes they're like ho- such home runs, such, oh, such yeah. home runs. Um, and like that Texas is the reason record that he did is like undeniable like that. Like that's not like it was recorded in the 90s. It sounded like it, it, it sounds like it could have been recorded last week. It's like yeah. such a time like he's able to get very timeless recordings out of people, which is uh, not something every producer is able to do. He gets you out of your head. He's just like, go and play the song as best you can play it. And he's not really interested in projecting his vision onto things. He just wants to get the truest version of what you feel, which was a really interesting production direction because that wasn't, that wasn't the way that Evan did it on at this age. And I learned a ton about, making records from Evan, but Evan very much hears things, hears parts, wants to move sections around things like that. And sometimes I crave it. And, you know, we sort of asked Jay to do that because we sent him demos and we're like, give us notes, man. And he was like, I don't hear too much. You could do like a stop here or like a band hit here or something, but like, these are good songs. Don't overthink it. That's cool. uh, Yeah. yeah, it, It was a nice way to do it. I, I think there's value in, multi-tracking and i think there's value in uh live tracking it sort of just depends on what you're trying to make totally. i'm glad to have the the like gamut of experiences now yeah 
And before before we get uh, before we you know start getting near the end here, uh, I just have to comment. You're like an extremely prolific person from just like <laughs> lo- from just like looking at not only how busy you are with this band, but then like you had a solo record come out in 2020, and then you have what's so what's the difference between to you between Signals and uh, the Meridian band? Because it looks like you share a lot of the same members, right? Yeah, we do. I think that band was formed kind of as initially it was a solo project that I did. Um, I kind of drafted my brother into it because through giving him guitar lessons, I was like, oh, okay, Jake's getting really good. I wonder if he just wants to play these songs with me. Okay. Um, And we got, you know, deeper into like folk and country music and like started to working, started working on how to harmonize together. Um, There's this podcast I love called Cocaine and Rhinestones. Have you ever listened to it before? I've heard of it. I've never listened. It's really great, super in-depth, wild stories about country music. And they have this episode all about uh, this group called the Leuven Brothers. And they talk pretty extensively about the concept of blood harmony, which is what happens when people who are related sing together. Because you, you get these like weird overtones that are created. And Jake and I just worked on our harmonies a lot. And we toured a bunch as like a guitar banjo duo doing like really stripped down DIY touring, just like the two of us in a car. And, uh, you know, after like the cumbersome nature of a punk band with all these like really gnarly loud amps and drums, it was a cool way to just kind of do some other stuff still uh, shift gears. And like, you know, some of the signals guys aren't always able to do the amount of touring that I want to do. And, it was a good way to still be able to get out on the road and, and make some songs and have some experiences. Um, so yeah, it's, I just like a lot of stuff and I like staying busy and the song just sort of comes out how it comes out. And then you, then you also play in that band timeshare. Do you still play in that band timeshares? I do actually you we just, have a record coming out. And do you just play guitar in that band? Yeah. Although I've started writing with them a little bit. We did a series of EPs over the last couple of years um, that I'm really proud of. Uh, but they were going for years and years before I joined. Sure. That was a, a thing that I started doing once I moved out here to Philly and was like, I would like to play loud rock guitar more. And yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm super proud of what I've, I've done with them. I think John and Mike are great songwriters too. And it's interesting as a person who does write a lot of songs to take a secondary role and kind of see how I can apply what I've learned in that fashion, it's, it's been a good challenge and like a nice change of pace for me. Yeah. And I'm sure it's also no like, and not in the kind of, I don't mean this in the way where like you care less, but it's probably a lot nicer to not have to be the front person of a band where you could just like kind of enjoy playing guitar with your friends. Yes. Show up, play guitar. Like, you know, now for signal shows, I like stretch and I drink water. It's like an athletic thing for me yeah but for timeshares i can like show up and drink a couple beers and like play some scales and like call it a still, day still have a good time i i would be remiss if i didn't mention this too um i'm not sure when this is going to come out but i do have a project with my friend toby who is now in the sidekicks oh, okay um, that we've been working through that we've been working on called orbits and we're gonna put out a record i like next week It'll probably be out oh, by wow, the time yeah, this it'll airs. be out for sure but uh, it's been super cool just kind of working on songs remotely with him, too. Uh, and I think he's really talented also. So, yeah, I'm wildly overcommitted. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> are you someone who's able to turn that off? I'm working on it. 
Yeah, I was going to um, say, because that's, that's a lot of songwriting. Yeah, it is a lot. I try to stagger it as best I can. I kind of got jammed up over the last couple years with having a bunch of different balls in the air at once and not really being able to finish anything. Um, and I think this year, 2022, I'm going to have something like four full LPs coming out that I've played on or written, which is, in my opinion, probably too much because there's just so much music that comes out. And like, you know, you're lucky if you get someone to click on something, asking them to click on four different things and being like, listen to all this shit I'm making. Like, do I think it's all of good quality? Of course I do. I wouldn't be making it if I didn't. But, you know, it's a lot. I don't expect everybody to, to digest it all. It's sure. just sort of working out that way right now. Yeah. I mean, being uh, most likely everyone will check it out that is obviously interested in your stuff. But, like, it's good to be conscious of, like, I understand that this is a lot, you know? It is a lot. It, yeah. is, it is probably too much. I think mainly with the Signal stuff, we wrote a record that I was super proud of. And then a couple opportunities came in to play that... I was like, I really want to do this. Like we did a European tour uh, with the band A Wilhelm Scream back in April and May. And we're not a band that has a booking agent. We're not a band that has a manager. It's been 14 years of me booking shows myself, sending emails myself, doing design myself, coordinating everybody. Like it's been very much us. So to have an email land in our inbox from an established band saying, hey, do you want to go play in? And we'd done one DIY Euro tour. We've done one DIY Australian tour. That was great. We lost thousands of dollars on it, but it was great. Yeah. Um, but to get an offer like that was really special. And like, it sort of made me think like, Oh, okay. Like people are out there and they're paying attention and this, and we went over there and had a great fucking time. I did get COVID at the end, but we had a great fucking time. <laughs> really That's good awesome. tour. Well, I'm happy to I'm happy to hear that. I really, I really, really am. Um, well, shit. Let me hit you with the last question, which is yeah. when was the first time that you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? So, in full disclosure, Jeremy sent me this question ahead of time <laughs> so I could think about it. Yeah, which I really appreciate because it is a hard question. It's a hard question. But you don't, um, you don't have an answer ready to go, do you? I have two, actually. <laughs> okay, hit me. One is sort of a cop-out, admittedly, is that I feel like 14 years into doing Signals and the better part of two decades into being a music person, I sort of feel like I'm learning a little bit about how to do it every time I go on stage or every time I'm in the studio. Like, it is an iterative process that is going to grow and change. And I think it should change because that way it doesn't get stale. But the first time that I really felt like I was doing the thing that I had set out to do was, I think it probably would have been end of 2011, beginning of 2012, where we had sent our record to a record label and it had been pressed And they shipped them to my parents' house and the jackets showed up first. And I waited around a couple days for the actual LPs to show up. And then they showed up and my brother and my sister and I sat at my parents' dining room table and 
we assembled all of these records together and it was just like the sweetest feeling of being a be just like sitting there having this thing that like you know my friend and i had designed and that my band had written together and now my family was like helping me assemble it and you know stuffing inserts into sleeves and you know it was, it was super cool actually because uh the label had written me an email and they were like hey there was an issue with the vinyl and i was like oh god oh, no. what is it and then yeah. they wrote back and they were like yeah they accidentally pressed everything on 180 gram <laughs> And I was like, that's so fucking sick. And then there's these giant like turquoise and beige and maroon like slabs of vinyl for your first record. And we did this like die cut thing on the jacket. And it was just like, it was such a fucking cool first record to get. So assembling that with my brother and sister was like a very sweet moment and uh, something that sticks in my head. It's incredibly wholesome. I love <laughs> as a as you can tell from behind me, I'm a huge huge vinyl idiot. So that's a that's a, that's a that's a that's a right up my alley kind of sweet story. I love it. Hell yeah, dude! That's awesome. Super cool. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks for hanging out with me today, dude. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Max for coming on and hanging out. And thank you for listening. Reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now where Max answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. Head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon to hear that and support the show. Another way to support, if you haven't subscribed to the show on Spotify or Apple or wherever it is you're listening to this, please do so. And leaving a positive rating and review helps us so much. It's why we all ask you to do it. All right. Take care of yourself and uh, I hope to see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.